My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Deb Cameron Fox and Deborah Littman. In this neoliberal age, it feels like all of us are becoming ever more atomized and isolated from each other with each passing year. In part because of that, though also because of the many ways that power imbalances internally distort and disrupt our groups, it can be tremendously difficult to figure out the basics of how we can work with each other in struggles for social change, even when there is some axis of commonality, a shared workplace, a shared faith, a shared neighborhood, or what have you, from which to begin. And when you don't even have that, and everyone involved is coming from a range of completely different starting points, it can feel next to impossible. The Metro Vancouver Alliance is an exciting, nonpartisan experiment happening in Vancouver with exactly that sort of broadly based coalition, and it is having some significant success. The model itself isn't new in an absolute sense. It comes from the Industrial Areas Foundation, which was the organization that emerged in the U.S. in the 1940s from the work of noted organizer Saul Alinsky, author of such classics as Rules for Radicals. But it's a model that has been used quite a bit less in Canada than south of the border, and it was very new to Vancouver when a small group started working towards its implementation in 2009. Rather than the more common approach of identifying an issue and trying to gather people and organizations together around it, the key to this model is building strong relationships among organizations grounded in diverse sectors of the community via a commitment to deep and ongoing listening before making any decisions about what issues to tackle. As a result of that slow, patient work, the MVA has grown to a coalition of more than 50 community-based, faith-based, labor, and academic organizations that have been enacting campaigns around public transit, affordable housing, poverty, and social inclusion. They've been putting forward concrete, winnable demands, and they've been winning some victories. Deb Cameron Fox works in a grocery store and has a long history of activism within her union, the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 1518. She participates in the MVA as a representative of her union, but she has also done theology degrees and is a lay preacher, so she approaches the work from a faith stance as well. And Deborah Littman is the lead organizer for the MVA. Her earlier background was in the labor movement as well, but she also spent 10 years as part of a similar community organization in London, England, and the expertise and experience she gained in that decade have certainly played a role in the MVA's growth and success. They speak with me about the Industrial Area Foundation's model of change, about the process of founding and building the MVA, about its campaigns and victories, and about what it means to work for change in a way that puts relationships first. We spoke by Skype to phone from Vancouver. I'm Deborah Littman. I'm the lead organizer of Metro Vancouver Alliance. MBA is a broad-based community organization with 56 
member organizations from faith, labor, community, and academic institutions. We organize not around specific issues, although we take up issue campaigns, but basically organize for the common good. We're part of a wider network called the Industrial Areas Foundation that has about 60 organizations across the U.S., several now in Canada, organizations in the U.K., Germany, and Australia. I'm Debbie Cameron Fox. I belong to the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 1518 out of Vancouver. I work for a supermarket. I also took degrees in theology. So I come to MVA through my union. I sit on the board as a representative of labor, but of course I have an academic background and I'm a lay minister, so I'm sort of connected with the faith community too, which is why MVA is kind of a great fit for someone like me. I wasn't actually present at the absolute beginning, so I only have the stories from the early, early founders. I came to Vancouver in 2008 to do a secondment with a union here and discovered that there was a group of people, largely based in the downtown side and largely out of the Christian faith communities, that were trying to get an industrial areas foundation organization together. And there was a woman, Sister Elizabeth Callagher, who is a really well-known, amazing, campaigning woman religious who came originally from Brooklyn. And she had experienced IF on the East Coast and felt that this was what was needed in Vancouver to build bridges, but also to build the power to change things that people were struggling with was, was what was needed. And so she had grabbed a group of people by the lapels and said, let's do this. But the difficulty people had was that there was no tradition of this kind of organizing in Vancouver. Lots of activism, but not this form of community organizing. And it's difficult to do off the back of reading some books by Solovinsky. So they were struggling a bit. And while I did this economy, I said I'd work with them because I'd had by then 10 years of being a leader, not an organizer, but a leader in London Citizens. And I knew my way around it pretty well spent a lot of time meeting with organizers from other parts of the world. In, in London, we trained people for Germany and for Australia and went back and forth with people in the U.S. So I had at least a pretty good idea of what it would look like and how to get a new organization founded. And so I worked with them for those three or four months and then got them connected to our region, which is the Northwest region based in Seattle, and our director, and got them affiliated to IAF. And from that point... Joe Crassel, who's my director, came and worked with them after I left, and ultimately they raised the money. It took them four years to hire an organizer, and then they offered it to me. So I came in June 2011. I mean, that's what you need. You need a full-time organizer. From that time, we built pretty steadily. From June 2011 to March 2014, when we founded, we built an organization of about 40 organizations, pretty good cross-union, faith, and community representation. And we, by then, carried out a very thorough listening campaign to find out what issues people wanted to work on. So that's really where it came from. It came out of a small group of people who had the vision and then some help from people who knew how to make it happen. Tell me more about the Industrial Area Foundation's model for pushing for change. It's called relational organizing. And the basic concept is that we don't start with issues, we start with building relationships. And as a trade unionist, I often refer back to the concept of solidarity. It means standing shoulder to shoulder and being able to see common ground with people that you might not normally work with. 
but it doesn't come out of the air. And this kind of organizing assumes that you have to quite intentionally build those relationships and you do it face-to-face through having people have one-to-one conversations with each other that explore people's history, their story, their motivation, their energy, where their passion is, what matters to them. So you're not picking up issues and then gathering people around those issues. You're saying, who are you? What matters to you? And then what would you want to work on? Where do we have common ground? Let's not assume we're all going to agree with each other. Where do we have some common ground and where can we work together to bring about change? And so that really is where the fundamental difference is between this kind of organizing and other campaigning organizations that always lead with the issue, build coalitions around an issue, and then when that issue is finished, those coalitions disappear. What we're trying to do is build a long-term sustainable alliance where people will build trust, connect with each other, really get to know each other well. And then out of those connections come the issues people want to work on. And when this one's over, you go on to another one. But you're also building power to make the change happen because you're engaging people who are not just the usual suspects. In other words, you're not just going out to activist groups or campaigning groups. You're going to ordinary civil society organizations that One need to be strengthened through this kind of participation and build new leadership. You're helping them do that. And then they have a lot of power when they come together to make a change. The thing that engages me the most and keeps me interested every time I attend an MVA function is this idea that certainly in our time, the market has a disproportionate influence on the way that people think and on the way that people think about what constitutes a country or a society. And I'd already done some research and writing on how a distorted spirit of individualism was destroying what we understood as our citizenship. And then I meet Deborah and the group around MBA who are all about reinvigorating and nourishing the understanding of citizenship in people. So yes, we will take on issues that are a problem for people in our organizations, but that's because they are whole people. And I may go to somebody in my union and they may not have too much to say that's a problem at work, but talk to them about the fullness of their life, their kids or their own parents or issues in their neighborhood. And often that's where you find the fire in them. That's where you find a desire to see change, if not engage, because We haven't really been schooled, at least in the way the media would present it, in how to talk as empowered citizens, how to talk about what we can do to influence decisions, especially if we consider ourselves merely individuals or merely consumers. So this idea of strengthening citizenship in each individual, strengthening a sense of collective identity, not just private and individual identities, This is a thing that hit me exactly where I live, in a one-to-one meeting with somebody who lives in my town, but I had no idea that their organization existed or that their problem existed. We used to have those conversations about what is inspiring them to sit down at a meeting for one thing, but also what do they wish they could participate in changing. And it's the language of somebody who starts to feel empowered. You know, I've been active in my union for a long time, and one of the things that all kinds of unions will talk about is the apathy of the members or the disengagement of the members, and it's like, well, maybe you're just asking them the wrong questions. 
in MVA, part of the training is about asking different kinds of questions and engaging in dialogue, not just, what do you do? What can we use you for? You know, we don't want to ask those kinds of questions. We want to ask somebody about who they are and what excites them and what troubles them and where their sense of engagement is. Maybe it's not at work. In some fashion, their personal or family issues connect to our shared life together, connect to public decision-making. And the MVA training model and organizing model helps people see those connections and feel like, oh, my presence here might change something. Such an inspiring place to be. What did that approach look like on the ground during the process of building the MVA? The job that I did for the first couple of years I was here was really very much just meeting with lots and lots of people. We had a grant from a Catholic foundation, so we did some particular work in the Catholic community, but not exclusively, and going around and just talking to leaders in various organizations. Usually somebody would recommend to them that they talk to me, and what I'd find out more about was, one, them, the same Deb has explained, you know, you don't just go in and say, here's what I want you to do for me. You really say, tell me about you, tell me about your story, tell me about what being a leader of this institution means to you, and what are the challenges facing this organization? Because one of the major things that we do is not just bring civil society organizations together, but help them to strengthen themselves, because I guess that the market has become so dominant that that part of just voluntary association has really struggled to survive. And so we try and see where the challenges are that they're facing. And one of the biggest ones that you hear over and over again is leadership. And the same five people are doing everything. So helping to support them in developing new leaders is one of the big things that we can offer. But just going in and saying, what goes on in this place? If you could change something, how would that work? And then Really, it's a very soft sell. You're not going in there saying, here's my membership form, you know, sign up. Maybe participate a bit and see if it means something to you, if it's meaningful. We run two-day leadership training. So if somebody's interested, you say, come along to the next one and see if this works for you. And so gradually over that time, we had a core of groups that had already committed to being part of it. But then over quite a period of time, we went and spoke to many Catholic parishes, to labor unions, to a growing number of other religious organizations. One of our early partnerships was with the nursing department of Vancouver Community College. They partnered with us on a small listening campaign. And through that, people began to see what was valuable. And they began to see the strength that it brought to them in terms of developing new leaders, giving them a connection to... People often find that the excitement is about meeting people that they really wouldn't ever sit down with. You know, we had a senior leaders meeting, a couple of them, but one a couple of years after I started, and we had the Catholic Archbishop sitting next to the president of the BC Federation of Labor. We said, 10 minutes, go talk to the person next to you. And there they were engaged in an intense conversation. And they had never... I mean, that was not something that was ever on their agenda to do, but they found it really valuable and exciting, interesting. So gradually we began to build leadership and build a really good team of people who were excited by this possibility, Deb was one, and they went out to their organizations and began to talk to them about why they should be involved. And bit by bit, people joined, organizations joined and began to participate. About nine months prior to our founding, we started a listening campaign, and we're about to launch a second one. 
And I would say that was very seminal in people really getting a sense of why this was valuable. What that means is you go back to your organizations and you get everybody think about how you can bring groups together in your own organization to have a very open-ended discussions about who people are, what their passion is, and what they would like to work on together, what they would like to see changed, what are the challenges they're facing, and what would they like to see changed. And all of our groups went back and organized those meetings and got a huge amount out of it, both in terms of being able to really get to grips with their own organization, seeing where the gaps were, who met with whom, who really met with no one, who was left out of the fray, and hearing some things that they just never had a chance to hear from their own members about what mattered to them. Out of that came lots of thought and ideas and interest in a whole range of issues And then we held a discernment process where we boiled it down to the top. We had aimed for three. We ended up with four issues that people felt strongly about. And then as those campaigns forward after founding, then people felt real ownership of those campaigns. They participated in the research action and developing the proposals. And then ultimately we took our issues to a municipal election assembly just prior to the last municipal elections in Vancouver had mayoral candidates on the stage, had 800 people in the hall, and got some really firm commitments from politicians. So that was like the full cycle. They'd gone from building, you know, just the basic getting to know you, bringing organizations in, building, listening, discerning, developing campaign objectives, and getting commitments. And people really, by that point, had a sense of what this was about and why it was valuable to them. Tell me more about the four issues that emerged for the MVA from the listening campaign and the discernment process. The ones that looked like issues in the conventional sense, the three that we were aiming for coming out of the listening campaign were transit accessibility around the Lower Mainland, housing affordability, which certainly is in the news these days, and poverty or income justice. But in the process of filtering through all the suggestions and ideas, and there were many, many, there was also a consistent subtext in some cases and explicit in other cases about the social isolation that people around the Lower Mainland feel. And there was some question about, well, three is plenty to handle, can we fit four? But Social isolation was, in certain respects, kind of at the top and related to all three of the others. So we added social isolation, which in campaign terms has become a campaign for social inclusion. So we have four issues on the table that we invite our members, our new leaders, and people who are interested from the outside of MBA to get involved in one of those four campaigns. The first thing that we did was all four of those issues, after we'd announced them, we asked people to sign up to join research action teams. If that was their issue, if they wanted to work on it, and we had the four teams all working, and it took them from March when we founded through to October to do the background, go talk to experts, read up, and then put forward concrete proposals, because the idea is always to do things that are achievable concrete and achievable. I mean, bring world peace and world hunger, great, but really we need something that we can actually win. So they did that, and then the proposals that went to the municipal election assembly, in terms of income justice, we pushed for the city to become a living wage employer. 
on housing affordability, we asked for a covenant that would lock in 20% of affordability in all new housing developments. On transit, we pledged to support the transit referendum and asked other politicians to do the same. And on social inclusion, we had two things. One was to streamline the permit process for small events, small groups that are having a real struggle getting permits in the city and therefore were ending up not running local events and all the events really ended up in big corporate things, which really weren't breaking down barriers between neighbors. So we asked the city to give us some help on streamlining that process. And then the second thing was that we said we will set up local clusters of our member organizations to develop very sub-local campaigns, neighborhood-based campaigns on issues that they cared about. Deb and Deborah went on to talk in greater detail about the nuts and bolts of those four campaigns and of the municipal election forum that the group organized to put public pressure on politicians. To name just a few of the outcomes, the transit funding referendum lost, but they won a major victory in getting Vancouver to commit to being a living wage employer, and they've made progress on affordability guarantees in new developments as well. And the neighborhood clusters of MVA groups have been coming up with their own innovative neighborhood-focused work in a range of areas. I went on to ask Deb to say more about what her home organization, UFCW Local 1518, got out of belonging to the MVA. A new way of understanding their relationship, the union's relationship to its own membership a different way of relating to its membership. I mean, a buzzword all over the labor movement right now is member engagement. And from where I'm sitting, this model of listening to your own members in the fullness of who they are is a different way than unions traditionally do things, which is about what can we do for you in your workplace or what can you do for us to make the union's agenda stronger in your workplace, right, or politically, depending on the union. But we need a different way in the labor movement of engaging our members, yes, but also a different way of understanding them because the labor landscape is so different now. The kinds of work are so different now. It's harder to organize in a lot of sectors. And this is a great organizing model for strengthening the union for the best reasons, which is to help a union be more representative of its members and their needs. One of the most interesting things to me about the way that the MVA does things is the way that you bring together people from labor backgrounds and faith backgrounds and academic backgrounds and community backgrounds and have them all sitting at the same table involved in the same conversation. What are some of the strengths of doing that? But also, what are some of the challenges involved in doing that? Challenges are a kind of distrust, despite the fact that much of our progressive movement in Canada came out of faith leaders. The labor movement has often been very wary about any faith connection, so distrustful of people who are involved in faith organizations. With smaller community organizations, there's a kind of competition that's been set up by the fact that they're often struggling, competing against each other for funds. You often sometimes just get this, it isn't a mistrust, it's just a lack of contact. People live in different worlds. They don't come in contact with each other. It's not that they even have hostility. They just have no mutual understanding at all. 
And so the basic process of actually bringing people together to have those one-to-one conversations is really a huge step forward for a lot of people. You have people come away from, say, their first two-day training who said, I had this conversation with somebody who was so different from me. They came in such a different background, and yet we had such similar problems. And so you're actually finding that people get over those divisions. It takes a while, and sometimes it really doesn't work. We've had, you know, groups that just say, I'm never going to sit in the same room as people who. But what we always say to them is, we're not asking you to agree on everything. You keep on doing what you do on that issue, that's fine. What we're asking you to do is leave your differences at the door, and then let's find what we have in common. And for a lot of people, I think that's a relief. It's a relief because it means they don't have to hammer out all their differences or work out their 10-point plan when they just can't. It means they can actually leave all of that aside and just find where they have some shared interests. And through that, we end up with people working together that are probably about as unlikely partners as you can imagine. And they get to be friends and they get to be colleagues. And what that means is, and I think this is one of the most important things, if you build those relationships before there's any crisis or there's any issue that requires them to work together, then when that crisis happens or when the need is there, they're ready. They're ready to go. If you have a crisis, there's a political crisis or a hospital's going to close down or something, and you suddenly need to mobilize a bunch of people. Well, it's not so easy to get started right from the scratch at that point. Whereas, you know, people here have already begun to work through, you know, what, what are their values? What are their common values? What do they care about? What do they want to see happen? What kind of city do they want to live in? And it means they're much more ready to act together when the time comes. As an organizer, I'm immensely proud of this organization. We started with almost nothing, and here we are, not even five years on from when I came, really developing a fabulous group of leaders. What I'm most excited about is a change in the power balance. People have been frustrated, and they know what's wrong. They want to change things, but just the sheer inability to make things happen and to make it happen in a way that really sticks and builds their power long-term is something that has really been a challenge. And I think we're beginning to see people feeling hopeful and excited about the possibility of really shaping the kind of community we want to live in instead of being constantly on the back foot and reacting to decisions that have already been taken. You have been listening to my interview with Deb Cameron Fox and Deborah Littman of the Metro Vancouver Alliance. To learn more about their work, go to metvanalliance.org. That's metvanalliance.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.